The date is Thursday the 5th of July. I'm Jason England. And unless you didn't know it already, football's coming home. Welcome to Learn Something. With forced interjections about football like that, you know you're in for a cracking show. Uh, this is the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com, where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. So, unless you didn't know, today is the 70th birthday of the National Health Service, otherwise known as the NHS in the UK, an institution of part and a massive part of the way we live here in the United Kingdom. Um, it's a public health system where rich or poor, no matter what your background, you are entitled to free healthcare. And it's a system that we all pay into through our tax. And it just seems like common sense that every country should have it. But some places do not. Sorry, guys, over in America with health insurance systems. Um, but to celebrate the 70th birthday, I thought I would do an episode all about the NHS and give you some of the weird facts behind it. I've got five and I hope you enjoy it. Settle down. This is going to be a cracking episode. And so we start with an interesting day of every single year for the NHS, which is the first Wednesday of every August. Now, if you work in the health service, you'll know that that is a day when a new cohort of junior doctors begin working at the NHS after graduating medical school. And this day has a particular name called Black Wednesday. Because with these new doctors coming in, it means patients are about 6% more likely to die than on other days. This is a weird phenomenon, but it's something that was actually figured out in a study conducted way back in September 23rd, 2009, when it was published uh, by Min Hua Zhen and her team. In terms of how they did it, it was a retrospective study where they examined all emergency patients admitted on the last Wednesday in July and the first Wednesday in August for the years 2000 to 2008. So, as is with many of these studies, kind of take it with a pinch of salt. But it's also kind of evident that these guys kind of go through their medical school to get their qualifications. But obviously, as everybody on the other end of this podcast, be it in your car, walking home, will know there's a very big difference between learning something in school or university and actually doing it in person. Next up, we destroy a standard stereotype about dental hygiene, which is that Britain does not have good teeth. Uh, you see it in The Simpsons, you see it on a lot of shows with particular British characters that they make them look like they've got bad teeth because they're not straight teeth and they're not white teeth. But did you know that according to studies, Britain has the best dental hygiene in the world? And it's actually 10 places above that very country that openly mocks British people for apparently having bad teeth, the United States. 
Going down the list, obviously Britain's at number one. Germany comes in at a close second, Denmark in third, the Netherlands at fourth, Sweden in fifth, Ireland in sixth, Australia in seventh, Italy in eighth, France in ninth, and America in tenth. And if you want to go for the worst in this study, that would be Poland, closely followed by Hungary. So do what you want with that info, but primarily don't ever think, British people, that you have bad teeth because it could be worse. <laughs> Next up, I'm going to tell you a story about an amazing man called James Matthew Barry, who was born in Kiamu, Scotland, in 1860. He went on to write a little story, you may know it, in 1897, called Peter Pan. That's right. Uh, he wrote the original story of one man's, one child's dreamy adventure to Never Neverland to eliminate Captain Hook. And obviously it was a smashing success, even being picked up by Disney for a film. Um, but nonetheless, uh, this book was published in 1902 and went on to be a production that opened at the Duke of York Theatre on the 27th of December, 1904. Um, the novelization of his play was in, came in 1911 which was published under the title of Peter and Wendy, and it was an instant bestseller and has never been out of print. Now, I've told you one side of that story. I'll tell you about the other side. An amazing place called the Great Ormond Street Hospital, which is a place that, that is specifically built to deal with family and children's-based healthcare. And it's an amazing location one of the best medical care centers on the planet, to be honest with you. Um, and it's also a charity-based organization. And there is a reason why they have been going all of this time. Because in 1929, with the popularity of both the play and the novel firmly established, Barry unexpectedly and generously gifted his copyright of Peter Pan to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Barry had already been supporting Great Ormond over many years, and in 1929, he was approached to sit on a committee to help buy land so that the hospital could build a much-needed new wing. He declined, but said that he hoped to find another way to help. Two months later, the hospital board was stunned to learn that Barry had donated all of his rights for Peter Pan to Great Ormond Street, and at a Guildhall dinner later that year, Barry explained the impetus for his gift, quote-unquote. At one time, Peter Pan was an invalid in the hospital, and it was he who put me up to the little thing I did. Through this gift, Peter Pan's magic made an unprecedented leap from the realm of fiction into reality, and the hospital began to receive royalties every time a production of the play was on, as well as from the sale of Peter Pan books and other products. So, as you probably well know, this has gone into the value of hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of pounds that have gone straight into the pocket of Great Ormond Street Hospital to keep the thing going. It's incredible, really. And an amazing sense of generosity and charitability 
from such a creative mind is something that really should inspire us all. Like, it's rare that you see such selfless acts nowadays. For fact number four, I take you back to the year 2010 and a UK man who had chronic hiccups for two and a half years. Now, this is an example of a very stretched medical system that the NHS is. It needs more investment. It needs more, it needs more infrastructure. It needs a better, it needs more people there to help other people. And it's something that really frustrates me, the fact that funding is currently on the way down, being cut anywhere and everywhere that the current government can try and cut said funding. And what happens is that doctors are far too busy and they, they miss potentially life-threatening diagnoses. Um, the doctor told him that it was probably just heartburn. However, a Japanese variety show picked up the story and in the course of filming, they discovered that it was a brain tumor. The tumor was removed and his hiccups went away, which possibly saved his life. When I found out, I just dropped, said Chris Sands. I was lucky there was a chair underneath me because I would have dropped to the floor. I was in tears and I didn't know what to do. It could have killed me at any time. Mr. Sands, who lived near Woodhall Spa in Lincolnshire, first got the hiccups in September 2006. And then, of course, they went... Obviously, the story happens in about 2008. Now, what is the connection between the two? It's very difficult to actually say because you kind of think, how does any kind of pressure on the brain encourage you to hiccup? And this is something that the NHS have any idea really behind why. And not no scientists, nobody knows why, why this happened and what the connection is between your brain and hiccups. But... Even after this missed diagnosis from the NHS, Chris Sands still believes in the importance of a national health service. From his quotes, everyone else seems to mean harm to the NHS for various reasons, but I really don't. I don't blame anyone, and I got treated well no matter where I went. That, it takes bravery to think like that. It's great that somebody still believes in the system to the point that even though they drop the ball, like the many times that humans will in making mistakes, that he still has that belief in this system. And last but not least, we end this on a bit more of a humorous note. The NHS in terms of teaching doctors how to do different procedures, they need volunteers. And they had one man registered as what's called a rectal teaching assistant. I bet you already know where this is going. He offered his anus to be examined by trainee doctors. That's right. One man had volunteered to be poked in the bum 
by trainee doctors and have fingers and different different kind of devices inserted into this orifice and yeah sounds like it's it's a worthy commitment and good on him for volunteering to help out these doctors when it comes to passing fingers up the Marmite motorway. Um, however, he also lost his job to a robot anus. <laughs> you honestly can't write this shit. Um, spare a thought for this only living rectal teaching assistant. This bionic bum comprised of prosthetic buttocks and anus with inbuilt ro robotic tech was developed by scientists at Imperial College London to help doctors and nurses practice probing this fake posterior. And I wish all the doctors all the luck who do this training. And I hope that the man with who's probably had more fingers in his bum than anybody else in Great Britain, I wish him all the best in his future endeavours. <laughs> And that's it for the weird fact segment of Learn Something. And just enough time now, just for a quick, quick, quick bit from me, really. Uh, as you can tell, I'm stuttering because I haven't really planned what I'm actually going to say in this bit. But it's more about a personal story on my behalf. Um, the NHS has helped me in a lot of ways over the years. Primarily, I had a lot of dental problems. So I had something called an open back jaw. So if you, in your car, walking home, close your jaw, you'll know that your back teeth and your front teeth all come down at once. Some might have your front teeth a little bit, for, a little bit further forward than your back teeth, but one thing is that there is no gap in between your top and your bottom jaw. However, with mine, the back teeth would come down, but the top and the bottom jaw would actually, is actually at two, two different diagonal angles. So there's a bit of a gap. In fact, it was quite a significant gap. It turned into like half a centimeter. And I went through a significant amount of surgery um, to actually get to the point where my jaw was actually okay again. Um, and the person who did it was actually on BBC Two's show called Hospital. You may have seen it. Um, and on this one, let me just... I'm trying to see if I can find this doctor's name. Uh, there he is. So it was leading maxillofacial consultant surgeon, Dilip Srinivasan, who really left an impact on me watching the show and also as a very, very nervous young man when I went through the, um, when I went through for the surgery. Like, I'd gone through five years worth of braces, some very strong braces as well, to bring all my jaw back into line. And the surgery that he conducted on me, my top jaw is now basically all titanium, and my bottom jaw all the bone grew back around some wires and it's really fascinating. I wish I could show you the x-ray, but obviously we're on a podcast and it's all audio. Um, but he 
when he was doing this process, um, it, when he was helping out 55-year-old Val, one of the patients whose entire jaw was destroyed by mouth cancer so, several years earlier, this was the story that was told on the BBC Two show Hospital. He said, she is someone who is suffering. And if medicine is not about treating people who are suffering, then what is it about? You have to be on the patient's side. And that is what I felt when I was being cared for by him. Like, out of all of these different people who I'd been talking to, who had been talking to me, telling me that they were taking care of me, this was the one person who felt, who I felt was really on my side throughout this entire thing. So, two, Dilip Srinivasan, thank you. I know that you've probably long forgotten about me years upon years upon years ago but if by any chance you do get around to listening to this which you probably won't because hey it's just one nerd talking on a podcast and chatting a load of balls but still i hope that you're still doing well and thank you and also thank you to the wonderful service that is the nhs don't ever change and to anybody who feels like telling the world that the system does not work, anybody of a particularly orange nature, potentially presidential, then you can kiss my ass. Because really, your health system is borderline atrocious. It's very exclusive and selective and picking people who apparently deserve the care based on how much money they pay, which is ridiculous. And you should be ashamed of yourself for even trying to suggest that the institution that is the NHS should change. And on that note, I bid you all farewell. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Check out my blog, newrisemedia.com. I also have a Twitch stream called The Emotion Engineer. You can just find that. And yeah... Happy birthday, NHS. Take care. See you all later. See you all next week for another episode. Bye.